Hello and welcome to another episode of the Diet Obsessed Podcast. I am your host, Veronica Santarelli, and this is a podcast for those of us who are just obsessed with all things diet culture, and we like to discuss the details and mention it all. All right, let's get into the episode. So I am recording this on a Tuesday morning. I am thankfully back in Arizona. I got back from my work trip. Let's see. It was actually a week ago today. I flew out at like five in the morning from Logan Airport in Boston and landed here at, let's see, I landed at like 1130 or 11. And so I was able to get back for my job that was starting, my second job that was starting uh, at 1245. So um, so it was good. I, I, I normally, I was thinking I could only fly on Thursdays and Sundays, but I just wanted to get back. And, um, and then I realized that, you know, because we're, we're behind the East coast here, I could actually take like a super, super early flight and still get back in time to, to get to my second job. So, so that was good. I mean, I was, I was exhausted. I mean, I was delirious through uh, my interviews that day and just, you know, had no personality, but, um, you know, I'd only slept like two hours probably, but, but it was nice to get back and, um, you know, things had not gone, <laughs> of course, things did not go as planned. Uh, I had hoped to get the security project done And I don't know, I must have just like blacked out and forgot that the last time they were trying to get the security done, there was an issue with the door, this door handle. So anyway, it turns out that the the construction team we had originally hired put on this this door to the vault that is not going to work. It's just, it's our security team was not able to add like an electrified system to it that would enable it to be securely locked with mag with magnets and it's it's again this is not my wheelhouse so i was like it was just very upsetting i i had a mental breakdown and i got in touch with our old partner so we we have a a social equity partner there and that's that's the only reason that we're able to get this license and apply for this license and afford to be able to apply for this license as we're going through the social equity program. Social equity program is for people that have been disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. And so um, we have a partner that lives in that area uh, and we had had kind of a falling out because he wanted more money and we weren't able to pay him more money. We, you know, almost went out of business. So Anyway, um, a lot's happened since the last time we spoke. I think he's gained some respect for us since we, you know, fought hard and sacrificed and, and made it through this arbitration with Cureleaf and was able to, you know, we were able to raise, you know, that that money from our, our doctor friend. And so, you know, I, I think now he realizes that we're, we're good people. We are here for the right reasons. We have tenacity and we are determined to get this license up and running. And so he's kind of like wanting to help again. So, um, so he's, he's basically taking over kind of as like a project manager of getting this construction done and, and making sure the security is done. And he's going to be there through our final licensure and until we commence operations. So for me, that's huge. I, 
I was so stressed out having to fly back and forth and project manage this. And I was feeling so helpless and hopeless that this door wasn't complete and we needed to hire another construction team. And, and I just don't, construction is just not what I'm good at. And, you know, all this operational stuff, like I can do operations up to a point. I hate it. I don't want to do operations. I will do it. But especially when it involves measurements and welding and just like somebody do this for me, please. I'll pay you anything. No, we we can't pay anybody anything, but we, we were able to give our partner a little bit of money to, 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 to be there to, to finish the project. So, so fingers crossed, he can do a better job at it than I can because I was just losing it. So anyway, I am so happy to be back. I miss my boyfriend. I miss my dogs. I miss the sun and how beautiful it is this time of year. I mean, if anybody hasn't visited Arizona, this is the perfect time to come. I mean, really, March is like really the best the best month. So I, I missed most of March, but... Um, but I'm here now and I feel really good. I can make my protein shakes again. I can chop my vegetables. I can cook, you know, all these little things that you just, you take for granted. And when you're back in your home space, you can, you can do all these things. So, so anyway, so I'm back and I was, I was determined, I was like, I got back and I was like, I need to have a healthy week. I just, I wanted to work out. I wanted to eat lots of vegetables. I went, so I went grocery shopping and got a bunch of salad stuff and salmon and minestrone soup and, you know, all kinds of really, you know, high, um, high nutrition density foods. And, um, and yeah, so I, now I landed on a Tuesday and then that Saturday, just this past Saturday, we had something called the Pats Run. And the Pat's run is for Pat Tillman, who died in uh, the war with Af- in Afghanistan, and he was actually killed by friendly fire. So he was this like professional football player who left. I think he was in ASU at the time, or had graduated from ASU, and you know he sacrificed so much to fight for his country, uh, and and ended up sadly dying from friendly fire. So. Um, so there's this annual run every year and I've, Chad, my boyfriend has signed me up for it every year for the past, I think three years, but for some reason, this is the, f- I think the first year was the pandemic and I think it just didn't happen because of the pandemic. Then the second year was when my company got shut down and I was in like a wicked depression. So I just was like, I'm going to be- just bury my head in the sand and lay in bed all day. So I don't think I did that. And then. And then finally, I went to this last one. Now, I had not run at all. I mean, I had just gone on a couple nature walks. And so, and when I got back, the treadmill just died. So, and I had injured my foot. I don't know how I injured my foot. I mean, I went on the nature walk. I didn't injure it on the nature walk. But I woke up in the middle of the night with, it felt like I had stubbed my toe or something. And I'm like, what happened to my toe? And I was like stretching it and like rubbing it and trying to figure out like what I'd done to it. And then it like blew up and got wicked swollen. And I'm like, what, what the hell did I do to my foot? So I I literally was like hobbling around, like limping. I couldn't even, I could barely walk. 
And I'm just like, great, am I going to be able to do this run? So, you know, so that Tuesday, I mean, I was like limping through the airport, trying, you know, with my carry-on bags, trying to get to, to my air, you know, my flights on time, walking on the side of my, it was my left foot. So I'm like walking on the side of my foot and, you know, I'm just like, and so I, I even if my, the treadmill had been working, I wouldn't have been able to run. So I just, I just basically babied it. I did a little bit of core, but I just didn't really work out when I got back. So, you know, I went into this race with basically no training, having taken almost a month off from working out because on the East Coast, I, you know, I went for a couple walks. I did some push-ups. Um, that's it. Like I did some push-ups a few days. I did some planks and I walked a little bit. I mean, it was very, very little activity. So, so I went into this run and, and my body is just not built for long distances. It's just not, uh, even, I mean, it's only 4.2 miles. I don't know how people do marathons. I mean, people that do marathons are built, they're built for running, you know, and, and, you know, there's people that do hundred mile, like what are they called? Ultra marathons. Those, I mean, that's insane. I, I could never do that clearly, but I, um, I ended up kind of walk running with my friend Brandy and <clears throat> her and Bob did, did the race with us and his mom. And, um, she's not someone that really goes fast anyway, but she was like kicking my ass. <laughs> she's like, you know, we, we would walk and then we'd run and a little tight, I mean, like, you know, jog, you couldn't really call it running, but jogging. And, you know, probably by the second mile, my hips, my legs were super tight. I mean, I was just like falling apart. My hips were hurting. I mean, I felt like I was 90 years old. I'm like, what is going on? And, you know, I made it through, but I was in pain. I just was, anyway, I, I feel like I need to do some serious training, do some rehabilitation. I don't know what I need, but anyway, I made it through. And then after that, we went to a place called the VIG for brunch. And I love the VIG. The VIG, I usually go to for happy hours. They've got a great happy hour menu. They've got great cocktails. It's a really beautiful place, like very cool. Um, and so we went there for brunch. And of course, I was like, okay, I'm going to like treat myself. I was ready to have a delicious meal. I mean, I was ready to just eat delicious, indulgent things all day long. So I started with this, um, this cocktail. I, I have it on my Instagram at the Diet Obsessed Podcast. And, uh, it's, it was kind of like, uh, it had, it had vodka and it had sparkling wine and this, it was pink. It was really pretty, tasted delicious. And so I had one of those. And then there were three items on the menu I was trying to decide between. So the first thing that caught my eye was the chorizo breakfast burrito. Now I'm not a huge burrito person, but I love a breakfast burrito. Here's the problem. Okay. It's kind of a gamble when you get a breakfast burrito. I've had breakfast burritos that are so incredibly delicious. And the ones that I like are kind of like on the drier side, you know, they're, you bite into it, you can taste the texture of the potato. The eggs aren't runny or, or watery. They're nice and firm. And then the chorizo <clears throat> is also not too greasy. If you have that combination, that's going to be a damn delicious burrito. Okay. And I've had a couple in my life that are to die for. And that's why every time I see a chorizo 
burrito with egg and potato in it. I'm always tempted to get it because I've had a couple that have been so friggin' delicious. But I've had others. I mean, I went to this restaurant one time and got the same chorizo burrito twice. The first day it was friggin' incredible. The second day it was watery and disgusting. And I didn't want to eat it. So if it's watery, if the eggs are too watery, if anything's off or the chorizo's too greasy, it completely ruins the burrito. So I knew that was going to be a gamble. The second thing that was really interesting looking was this um, beef that it was called, what was it? They had this name for this beef. It was some kind of beef hash and it had some sort of like delicious sounding bread on the side. And this looked good because I love a hash. I love things that are kind of chopped and mixed together. They can have a little bite of everything. The thing that stuck out to me is it had green chilies in it. And I was like, mm, green chilies. I love a green chili moment. And so I was very tempted by that. And so I asked the waiter, I'm like, hey, like, what's, what do you, what do you like better? Have you had these two things? Have you had the chorizo burrito or the steak, you know, hash? And he's like, the quiche. And so he recommends this thing that I wasn't even looking at. And so then I look back at the menu and I'm like, ooh, quiche. And it came with this little salad on the side and it had also had green chilies in it. So I'm like, ooh, green chilies in the quiche, little salad. I'm like, kind of sounds a little healthier. I'm like, okay, maybe I'll get that if it's that delicious. And I do love quiche. But again, I like a firm quiche. So I end up not going without the two things that first caught my eye and I take the waiter's recommendation. Now that was my first mistake. <laughs> okay. So, and then I order a side of potatoes because it didn't come with potatoes. And Bob's mom said he's going to split the potatoes with me. Said she was split the potatoes with me. And then I or- also ordered some bread because I wanted that bread that came with the steak. I was like, you know, ordering everything. I was so hungry. And so, so they bring this quiche, they bring the potatoes, they bring the bread. Now, first of all, Chad and Bob had ordered this like plate of bacon that ended up coming with bread, which I wish I had realized that because I would have just eaten that bread and not ordered a whole separate thing of bread, whatever. Potatoes were good, but the quiche, ugh, first of all, first of all, the salad that they came with it, I mean, it wasn't dressed. It was this pile of leaves across this quiche. And I mean, I love a salad, but it's like, this was, you. I, I pictured this like kind of dainty, well-dressed, nice little side salad. And it was this plate of kind of dampened like leaves that just took over the plate. It was, it made no sense. And they, they, there was no dressing on it. It was like just leaves. And I mean, there's a picture on it on my Instagram, if you go check it out. And then the quiche. Now, again, I like a firm quiche. I, I crack into this and Carlene, Bob's mom, had gotten the same quiche. This quiche was the worst quiche I've ever experienced in my life. I mean, we're talking like airport quiche is way better. I don't know what happened to this quiche, but like it was this, the egg, the, the in between the quiche part was like mushy and had the worst texture I've ever tasted in my life. It was like, it wasn't even like an egg. It was like a fluffy, mushy, disgusting mess. And Carlene didn't like it either. She also thought the texture was off. Um, and she was like, I think it's because they put like tomato in it. And and I hate tomato in anything. But the water, she's like, I think the wateriness of the tomato ruined the texture. 
And so I try one bite. I, I, I break into it and I'm like, I can't, I can't take one more bite. And I, I'm not someone that likes to send things back. I just, I hate that. I hate being that person. But I'm also like, I was so hungry and so excited for this meal. And I, and I ended up choosing something that the waiter recommended and it was horrible. So I'm like, so he comes and checks on it and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't want to do this, but this text, I can't, I'm like, I can't, I can't eat this. And so he's, so, he, so he's like, what can I get you instead? And I'm like the chorizo burrito. And by this time I'd eaten some potatoes. I'd eaten some of this bread. I, I, I knew I wasn't going to be hungry by the time this chorizo burrito came, but, but I didn't, I wanted a different meal and I'm like, I'll take the leftovers home. I love leftover. So so he ends up bringing me the chorizo burrito and thank god the chorizo burrito was actually really good it wasn't too runny it was like on the borderline of being a little bit too greasy but it was it was good i could eat it um i had i had like mo like half of a half and then i took the rest home and so anyway he took it off he took it off the bill i'm, I'm really grateful that he did that i just i hate complaining but i just i could not eat this this quiche so we bring the food home, we go home. Now I, because I work every Saturday, I, um, I have no other time to do anything else, but I taken this Saturday off for the Pats race and I have been wanting to get Botox in my neck forever. So now Botox in the neck, you may ask why. So there's these cords. Now I have really strong muscle cords in my neck and I'm, you know, my neck, if you've been listening for a while, you know that I'm like very nervous about my neck falling as I age. And cause I already see like the, 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 you know, the looseness of the skin and the creepiness of the skin. It's just one going to be one of those areas that's a problem area for me. <clears throat> and I, and mind you, I've been putting sunscreen on my neck and putting cream on my neck for ages. Okay. Because Back when I was like in my late 20s, I, I think I've said this before, but I had a really good friend, I'll never forget this girl, who told me, don't just take care of your face, bring it all the way down to your chest because you don't want to have this face with no wrinkles and then your chest and your neck are all messed up. So I've been doing that for, for you know, 15 years now or so. So... So anyway, <clears throat> so I get, so I haven't been able to afford to get the Botox in my neck because like the last time I went and yes, I've been getting Groupons. I don't recommend it for Botox, but you know, I did find this girl who has a lot of experience and they're willing to, to honor this Groupon price there. And it's, I pay $6 and like 73 cents a unit. And I'm like, you, it's, that's really hard to beat. So, and I, I wouldn't get it for anything advanced. Like I would never go to this place to get like filler done. Like I am going to go to my allergen girl to get my filler done soon. But for Botox, I'm like, nah, I'll, I'll risk it. So. Um, and this girl, this last time I went, she didn't have time to do my neck and she wasn't sure if they'd honor like a second Groupon for me. Um, but she's like, you're going to need 70 units. I'm like 70 units. I'm like, that seems insanely high. And, but I ended up like calling and making sure that they would honor the Groupon price for 70 units. They said they would. So I go. So, so yeah, so I ended up <clears throat> going after the Pats run. Now, I was a little bit nervous because I knew I wanted to drink that day, alcohol. 
And I, I, I'd heard that you're not really supposed to drink alcohol when you get Botox. But my biggest concern is, is the alcohol going to wear off the Botox? Because that's really the most compelling reason not to do it on the same day or anywhere near to that same day. Um, but when I Googled it, it just said that it's basically can just, can just increase your chance of bruising, which I'm like, whatever, I don't care about that. Now, normally when I get Botox, I really plan for it because I do have a pretty fast metabolism and I've noticed that if I work out like the day before, the day of, and after, like I'm usually pretty consistent with my cardio and, and working out. But if I, if I work out the days before and after and, and on the day I get Botox, I, I've noticed that it wears off way quicker. So the past, you know, few times that I've gotten it, I'll, I'll take a couple days off. Like I'll take the day off before Botox. I'll take the day of and the day after. So three days, but this time, I really couldn't do that. I mean, I had the paths run. So, so what I, now this may be messed up, but I was thinking, well, if I do the paths run, but then drink, have an alcoholic beverage and then go get my Botox done, I'm like, maybe my body will be working so hard to metabolize the alcohol that it won't metabolize the Botox as fast. So that in my brain was like the justification that I'm like, this makes, this makes sense. So, so I go, I get my Botox done. Now the girl that did it was a different girl and she's had experience with these neck bands and she only said I needed 50 units. So I ended up getting a total of 60. And it only was like 402 or something like that. So I feel like I walked out of that place winning. I do have some a bunch of bruises on my neck. Uh, that's okay. I can cover them up with makeup. No harm, no foul. I am excited to see the results. I should see the full results within the next like few days. So I am excited. I hope they look good. But so that was my Botox thing. So then... We go back out to this slushy place or this seltzer place, this hard seltzer bar. Now they have regular stuff too, but, um, Bob had been telling us that they have this, these really delicious slushies that have alcohol in them. And I'm like, the, and he's like, we had like 18 slushies the other day. They're so good. They just go down so fast. And, and Brandy, who doesn't drink is like, I had like three of them. Well, Brandy never drinks. So I'm like, do these things even have alcohol in them? Because I'm not going to just like drink a sugary drink just to drink a sugary drink. And, but they, you know, the, the guy said that it had gin in it. It had all this like delicious stuff. And it was this like bright green slushy. So I'm like, I'll try it. <laughs> you know? So I tried this like bright green gin filled slushy. It was freaking delicious. Let me tell you. I, again, I posted it on my Instagram and, um, lots of sugar, really, really tasty. Um, I'm not really one to drink really sugary drinks, but that went down pretty good. I had that Chad had ordered some fried pickle spears, had one of those, uh, ordered some garlic knots, ate some garlic knots dipped in pesto. They were delicious. And what else? And then I had, I had like two or three slushies. <laughs> so, that was a heavy day. Uh, and then I, I did go back later that night and I ate the rest of my burrito, some of the potatoes, and passed out. So that was my Saturday. And then Sunday, I woke up and started with a healthy day. I worked out. 
and filmed some content, did, did some outdoor stuff. Um, and then now Sunday is, you know, again, it's, it's not, you know, it's a little bit disordered, but I, I, I like to indulge on my Sundays and then, you know, have a, a healthy start to the week on Monday. So I was like, okay, what am I going to go treat myself to today? So I ended up going to Sprouts and I got, so I'm like obsessed with these, there's this mar, this iced marble cake and they have this package where it has like eight slices. It's basically like a little, almost like a little pound cake that they slice up and then they coat it with this white sugary frosting. Oh, it is so good. I mean, I can eat the whole package myself. Chad did have one or two pieces, but I ate the rest. It's so moist. And, mm. and now this one, this package actually wasn't as moist as it typically is. So it wasn't as quite as enjoyable as I normally enjoy it. But, um, but it was really good. I had that. And I also had two brown rice, rice crispy treats. I love these rice crispy treats from Sprouts. They're so good. Like when I'm eating a rice crispy treat, I like the ones, if they're too loose, if the rice krispies aren't like really packed down tight, um, it's not as good, but this rice crispy square, you know, you bite into it and it's the texture is like, it's, I can't get over the texture. It's like the best texture to bite into. It's crunchy. It's chewy. It's got that unctuousness. So good. So, uh, so I had two of those and I got this frozen pizza to cook, which wasn't that great, but I ate it. Um, and so I just, and I, I always do this. I ate till I was like overly, overly full on Sunday. Um, but you know, that's, that's what I do. <laughs> so, so that was my Sunday, but I had all the healthy things to start Monday, right? Um, I actually, so one of the reasons I did go to Sprouts to get my treats was I wanted to get a couple of rotisserie chickens because I had gone to Trader Joe's to get a bunch of like salad stuff and I got sweet potatoes and I decided that the meal that I wanted to eat for most of my dinners during the week, I wanted some shredded rotisserie chicken with a roasted sweet potato and my little Greek salad with my homemade balsamic dressing with a little feta, a little black olive, cucumbers, and red peppers. And I love that meal is so satisfying. I love that meal. And so I went and I got two rotisserie chickens. And sometimes I'll just put the rotisserie in the chi- in the in the refrigerator and just slice off of it, which I don't really like doing it that way. I do that when I'm being lazy, but the whole the whole ki- uh, refrigerator ends up smelling like chicken and carcass. It's gross. So what I ended up doing is while the chickens were still hot, I ended up taking all the breast meat off, shredding it, putting it in a, in a sealed container, and then all the dark meat and all that stuff I just gave to the dogs. So they, I'm like their favorite person right now. Um, and so... So yeah, so so that was great. So now I have my shredded chicken. I, I roasted some potatoes. I have all my salad stuff cut up. So I wanted to eat that yesterday before before work, but I was like, no, I'm just going to save it for after after work. And then I was so tired. I ended up getting out of work really late last night that I didn't even eat it for dinner because I was too lazy to <laughs> slice up the rest of the stuff, rest of the salad stuff. So I am planning on 
having that tonight. And then because I already roasted some sweet potatoes this morning, I was craving something savory for breakfast instead of my normal protein shake. So I ended up cutting up some of the sweet potato and making a really delicious hash. So that was a nice little breakfast this morning. Put a little hot sauce on it. Delicious. So, so yeah, so that was that. Um, so yeah, so this week we have, we're trying to fix the treadmill. My foot feels better. Um, I would like to go to do some Pilates. So anyway, I'm, I'm very excited to have a new fresh start to this week. Okay. So in a minute, I'm going to get into a maintenance phase review. But first, I wanted to do a little snippet on F-Factor. So F-Factor drama is resurging for some reason. Now, for those of you that don't know what F-Factor is, I did this whole series on this um, podcast from Wondery that was all about the the fiber feud. So this is between Tanya Zuckerbrot. Uh, registered dietitian, founder of the F-Factor Diet, which is all about high fiber, protein. Um, it is a pretty restrictive diet in terms of, you know, really reducing carb intake. Um, but, you know, a lot of celebrities love it, like Megan Kelly did it. Anyway, so, but they made these powders that became the center of this controversy with this other fashion influencer, Emily Gellis. So um, there's a lot of articles, there's podcasts on this. So, and I did, again, I did all series, so you can go back and listen to that. I'm not going to go into the whole thing now, but... um but I don't know, like if you, like I follow, I still follow these two women and for a long time they, they had stopped talking about it. The, the lawsuit is still live and well. Tanya's suing Emily for defamation. Um, and, uh, and, you know, they're still going through the discovery phase. I mean, this has been three years and this, this case still hasn't gone to trial. Now, you know, I was especially f- really following this because I was going through my own court drama and and struggling and and depressed and anxious. And so I think misery kind of loves company. So when I was seeing this, I was, you know, wa- watching this drama. I'm not proud of the fact that I like drama, but, you know, I'm a bra- I love Bravo. I love drama. So for some reason they started talking and talking and talking about this again. So if you go and you follow Tanya Zuckerbrot, you'll see she's posting all of Emily's old rants about her. She's, and and apparently what a recent development is Tanya has decided to shut down the making of her products. So she's no longer going to make the F factor products. She said she had a 90% decline in product revenue after Emily started, you know, supposedly allegedly defaming her company because Emily was sharing all of these these side effects that a lot of women had experienced from doing the diet, from using the powders. And it's, it sounds like it, it seems like from what's been written that a lot of women, you know, there were a a, a good, you know, a, a, a percentage of women that had, you know, some gastric issues, maybe if they were sensitive to, to fiber or, you know, maybe their body just wasn't used to so much fiber. Maybe they weren't drinking enough water. I mean, there were a lot of reasons 
um, why they might have had side effects from this from this diet and from you know excessive fiber intake. And so now, so I, in one on one hand, I think it's really sad that this woman has had her entire company ruined or most of her company, like this big part of her company ruined, you know, as a business owner who has also put a lot of, of time and effort and passion and, 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 and emotion behind a company. I know what goes into building a company and she's built this company over 25 years and it truly was her baby is her baby. And so I, I do, I can't help but feel for that and think that that's really sad. Now, do I think that she handled herself well when it came to customer complaints? And no, I, I do think that she could have probably mitigated a lot of this by handling that feedback in a more responsible manner, in a more caring manner. Um, you know, I think probably hindsight is twenty twenty, and there's looking back, she, she wishes she had handled things differently, I'm sure. But also, uh, it's just, you know, no one wins. I mean, Emily's going down because she's spending all this money on attorney's fees. I mean, the only way Emily's going to turn out okay is if she wins her, you know, doesn't doesn't lose her lawsuit and can have her attorney's bills paid. Because if she if she loses, she's going to probably have to go into bankruptcy. Um, and then Tanya doesn't win, of course, because she's had her reputation tarnished. She's had to shut down her product company. Now... I'm I'm asking all of you because I and I posted this on Reddit because I'm I'm so confused. So Tanya, one of one of the recent lives I went on, she actually said herself that she was aware of a woman that had passed away. Now she's what I believe I read was something about it had something to do with some sort of blockage. Um, potentially gastric blockage. I don't, I'm not a hundred percent positive and I can't find anything about it. So I've gone back, I've listened, I've, I've researched, I've Googled, I've looked, looked things up. I've tried to listen to all the lives again. I can't find it. So if anybody out there knows who actually passed away and what that exactly was, please DM me and tell me who this person is because like I know about all the women from the lawsuit. But I, I don't think that there was anybody that actually had passed away. And, but Tanya did bring it up. She, I remember her saying on her live, this was absolutely heartbreaking to her. I don't think she was correlating it to her products, but I, again, I don't know. And, but Emily brought it up again too. So Emily was talking about it. Tanya was talking about it. I, I wish I had stayed on that live and listened more, but I had to go back to work. So anyway, if anybody knows, please do tell. Um, I'm going to end it here because I, I don't know a lot more and I do want to hear the outcome of these trials. So I will do another topic on this eventually, but I want to gather more information. So if anybody has more information, please, please, please let me know. All right. So now let's begin our review of maintenance phase. And I wanted to do this topic because it was called the trouble with sugar and as someone who feels slightly addicted to sugar, I was um, wanting to, I, you know, I was very interested in this topic. Now, first, let me say that I want to say thank you to my listeners out there who've reached out to me on Instagram, 
who have, you know, because I did have a lot of, you know, negative reviews and and hate messages. And, you know, some of my listeners who do, you know, like this content reached out, they, they were like, I don't understand why people even listen if they don't like it. Why don't they just tune it off? Another woman was like, I like your personal updates. It feels like, you know, we're, we're catching up with a friend. So I, I'm really grateful for those messages. They mean so, so, so much. They really do keep me going. Um, it's just nice to hear that some people do enjoy this, um, even though, you know, some people don't. So I know some of you did take time to leave positive reviews and positive comments. And I just, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. It really does mean a lot. Um, but the, the negative reviews were because of this podcast maintenance phase. <laughs> now, I'm a fan of this podcast. I, I found out about it because someone had DM'd me thinking I was ripping it off, but, you know, I, I definitely have a different stance and a different viewpoint than the, the pod, the people that host this podcast. And I admire them. I think they have a great, successful podcast. This is, you know, all of you should go listen to it if you don't already. So maintenance phase, uh, this topic. So the hosts are Aubrey Gordon and Michael Hobbs, both very funny people, both very smart people. I think Aubrey, Aubrey's a published author. I don't know if Michael is too, but Michael also has another podcast. Um, you know, but they do a lot of research for this. They dig into the science. They're all about debunking, uh, myths about, you know, any stuff to do with diet culture. And so, you know, my, my, my precursor thought to this is that they were going to be basically defending sugar and showing that it's not bad for you. So, you know, I have my own thoughts about sugar. I love sugar. Don't get me wrong. I love sugar. Not, you know, if anybody hears me talk about the, you know, marble cake with icing I like to eat, <laughs> you'll know I love sugar. Um, but I, I, I try to reduce the amount of sugar I take in. Uh, but, but I was really fascinated with this topic. So their focus in this specific podcast is debunking three big ideas. One big idea about sugar is that it makes kids hyperactive. Another big idea is that it it spikes the glycemic index and spikes blood sugar. And then the third is it's as addictive as cocaine. So, so let's dig in. So, um, so they kind of started out talking about, you know, what people think of typically as sugar, you know, that people get this, you know, people think sugar, they think, uh, you know, the granulated sugar that you might put into coffee or tea or, you know, something like that, or, you know, the, the image that they put out there of, you know, soda and how it has all these teaspoons, this crazy amount of, of sugar in it. But they're like, well, maple syrup, agave, that's sugar too. Um, you know, and, and so they, they start out talking about the different kinds of sugar and that a lot of sugars exist naturally. Uh, glucose is in honey and fruit, especially in dried fruits, fruits and cured meats. Fructose is in a lot of fruits and vegetables. Lactose is in sugar found in dairy. Maltose is sugar in um, sprouting grains. And there's many more. So, and all of these different sugars, they explained, are absorbed differently. 
glucose is absorbed by intestines, by the intestines and goes directly into the bloodstream, whereas fructose is diet processed in the liver and doesn't seem to increase blood sugar or create the same kind of insulin response as glucose. And so, so yeah, so the, the, so different types of sugars do break down differently. So the first myth they wanted to dig into is does sugar make kids hyperactive? And, and Michael was, was like, well, anecdotally, you know, a lot of these sound true. Um, but you know, they, they wanted to look at the research. So they, they said the first thing that was written on this was back in 1922. That was the very first study that was looking at whether there was a tie between, um, behavior and sugar. And, and then, but, but it was a very, very little amount. And then there was this resurgent in the 1970s because they were looking, uh, doing a lot of research into ADHD. And apparently there was a book written by this gentleman, Dr. Feingold, a doctor, about hyperactivity in kids. And he created the Feingold diet and said a lot of kids' issues with hyperactivity are tied to sugar, artificial sugar, artificial additives, and a lot of behaviors could be helped if they cut down on these these items, um, especially, you know, things that are tied uh, to factory produced snacks and, and ultra processed deli meats, things like that. Um, they, for some reason, they said this, this guy said there was also this, this chemical found in some vegetables like cucumbers and mint uh, or, or cucumbers and, and herbs like mint, tea that also should be avoided. Um, and he said that treatment with amphetamines for, for ADHD and, and hyperactivity in children is doubtful and should only be used as a last resort. Um, and so, so they were, Aubrey and, and Michael were kind of making fun of that about how, oh, he's saying that this, 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 you know, medicine that's been approved to treat this condition is, is shouldn't, should be avoided. And just let's look at just diet instead. Well, I mean, I, I think that's what they were saying. I mean, I, I think treating kids with amphetamine for ADHD, I mean, I, I agree with this doctor that should be used sparingly and as a last resort. I mean, come on, if you can use a natural modality to control behavior, wouldn't you? Um, and then, so, so the idea behind this book they talked about is that insulin spikes led to adrenaline spikes. But other researchers that looked at this book found it suspect because it wasn't actually based on random control trials and there there wasn't a lot of like hard and fast research. It was based mostly on his anecdotal observations in his practice, um, you know, what he had witnessed from his own expert opinion, uh, which I don't know. I, I do think that that does have some credibility. I mean, that's where a lot of this cannabis research started with, right? And and they weren't able to prove anything because of the red tape with cannabis, but a lot of this stuff was being anecdotally you know, seen by physicians and by people all over the world. Anyway, getting back to sugar. So in the 80s, apparently they looked at this hypothesis from Feingold and looked at 23 other studies and found that diet is not an effective intervention for hyperactivity. Uh, and then 1986, there was another study that showed 
that there's little evidence that sugar is tied to poor behavior and some that it could actually have a positive effect. So in, in parentheses, I put my own note here that said, like, who sponsored these studies? I mean, this is the, this is the problem. Like, I am all for peer-reviewed research and scientific research, but who is funding this research? Like, you see all of these things in support of red meat, and then you found, find out that this research was sponsored by the, the beef industry. You know, you see all of this stuff about how you know, dairy is bad for you. And then another study that shows that dairy is good for you. And then it's funded by the dairy, dairy, um, you know, organizations. It's the people that want to prove something, they fund research to try to get to get it proven. I mean, that's just, that's a fact. That's why a lot of these pharmaceutical companies are able to get drugs approved. And I mean, again, like, there's a lot of there's a lot of, you know, very, uh, you know, suspect things that happen with peer-reviewed research. There's a lot of bias. There's a lot of racism. There's a lot of, like, funded by the tobacco industry. Oh, you know, remember when, when people thought cigarettes were good for you? <laughs> remember that? Guess who funded that research? Um, so anyway, getting back to this. Uh, so they talked about how this idea had seeped into the culture a lot of it because of ADHD research. And it was officially debunked by a study in 1994 looking at sucrose and aspartame. And all the kids in that study were considered sensitive to sugar by their parents. And so they divided these, these kids into three groups with different diets. One group had a diet high in sugar, but no artificial sweeteners. One group had a low sugar intake, but high in aspartame. One low in sugar, but also used a placebo of saccharin. And so they found a way to test if people were sticking to it by uh, doing fasting blood work, cognitive tests, and behavioral assessments once a week. And what they found is that neither sugar nor aspartame adversely affected behavior or cognitive functioning in children. And then much later, a pediatric neurologist later uh, stated that sugar is not going to lead to ADHD. The same that, you know, the same with aspartame, that sugar doesn't induce uh, psychopathology, but that it could aggravate an existing behavior disorder um, and that sugar-free diets are not the answer for everyone and can also be burdensome. So, you know, here's here's one thing I'll say about that. Uh that it could aggravate an existing behavior disorder. So it doesn't not, doesn't normally, sugar and aspartame, what they're saying here, this neurologist, this pediatric neurologist is saying, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't affect, you know, kids with, you know, normal genetic profiles. But if there is an existing precondition, it could potentially um, affect that. And it could aggravate an existing disorder. So, you know, here's the thing, like everybody's system is very sensitive and very unique. Not everyone's a sensitive, but everyone has this genetic profile that is very unique. It's like the same type of thing why the vaccine will affect some people negatively and some people will be just fine with it. Um, 
But there is a percentage of of kids that will be greatly affected by this, right? Like, you know, when we started out in cannabis, we worked with a lot of autistic kids. Well, a lot of those parents did do sugar-free diets and ketogenic diets. Um, You know, you'll see things like uh, this being used for people that have glioblastoma and other types of cancers where they'll do a sugar-free diet to help, um, you know, and again, I did Google this because I was like, well, they didn't even talk about the cancer issue because I Googled like, does sugar feed cancer cells? And there's no research on that. Um, but you also hear these anecdotal stories of people that have cancer that have gone on ketogenic diets or sugar-free diets and their condition is greatly improved. So, so certainly I... I, I understand that this research is 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 proving something that for the majority of the population, you know, there is no tie and no correlation, but that for people with a pre-existing condition that might not have manifested yet, it can aggravate those existing conditions. So, you know, that that is something to consider, right? If you are um, you know, very health focused and you have, you know, diabetes in your family. I was thinking about that recently, that I have diabetes in my family. And I wonder if the times that I eat a ton of sugar in a day, if I'm going to some, maybe someday aggravate a, a diabetes diagnosis. I don't know. I don't know. But I do have that in my genetic makeup, right? So, um, so anyway, I, I do think that that's something to, to look at. And um, so one thing that they talked about, which I, I actually do believe in, is that a lot of explanations of hyperactivity in children being tied to, to sugar is that it can be tied to social um, cues. So pa- the way parents have anxiety around sugar cues kids to act hyperactive. So it's this idea of like the power of suggestion, um, you know, just like the way people act with alcohol. They they did these studies where it's like when people expect to act kind of belligerent or, or like a certain way when they're drunk, they end up psychosomatically causing that. And, and you know, because that's what they think is expected. So uh, they thought there's another hypothesis that it could be tied to restriction of sugar. And that if kids are held back, from sugar that it could lead to erratic behaviors when they do have access to it. Uh, and so, so today most health professionals don't recommend diets specifically to treat ADHD. So again, you know, that uh, research is important. I do like that this podcast calls on research to form their opinions and to, to have this discussion. I think, though, there's a lot of bias in research, and you have to look at who's funding these studies. So then they went on to the next big idea about sugar is, does sugar spike the glycemic index? So they talked about how there's this glycemic index where there's certain foods that spike sugar more than other foods. And it's a scale uh, from zero to 100. The person that created it is Dave Jenkins, a Welsh doctor. He published it in 1981. And what he would do is he would have people fast and then eat one food. So like a potato or an apple. And then he would measure the blood sugar two hours later. 
And he, the problem they said with this type of research is a, there was only like 10 people that participated in it. So it was a very, very small sample size of individuals. And they fed people 50 grams of carbs of that one food. So there's a huge difference in eating a potato alone versus eating a potato with a steak or a potato with butter on it. Uh, Because the fat and the protein impacts the digestion of the sugars in that potato. A lot of other things impact glycemic index of food. For example, how it's cooked. You know, if you're cooking it in fat or if you're just baking it. You know, how, how a food is processed affects it. How we chew a food affects the glycemic index. And so... Also, people are very different about how they digest food and what it does to blood sugar. You know, for one person, they could eat a ton of popcorn and have no spike in in their glycemic index or in their blood sugar. And then other people have a tiny bit and it can spike it like crazy. So again, everybody's genetic profile is very different in terms of how they intake food and, and the response that their body has to that food. And then again, another tied to cannabis. Some people it increases their heart rate. Some people it decreases their heart rate. It is interesting. Um, another thing that's important for that to know is that focusing on the glycemic index does not help people lose weight. Um, another point that they wanted to make is that another thing to know about the glycemic index is that medical institutions don't recommend individuals use this to determine what to eat. Uh, some things with a high GI or that, that rate high on the GI index are not necessarily worse for you than other things. So they wanted, they made the, the comparison of like, like parsnips and watermelon, for example. Those are ranked way higher on this scale than chocolate cake. And so, you know, don't use it as a framework for deciding what to eat. So that was, that was, the points that were brought up by the maintenance phase hosts. I now to, to share my own thoughts on this. Uh, so I had done a, a podcast not, you know, a while ago about the glucose goddess. So she's this woman on Instagram. She's a, a scientist who's all about the glycemic index and how certain foods can spike your, your sugar uh, and how, what she recommends, the way she puts it, is put clothes on your food. So, for example, if you're eating a banana, that alone would spike your blood sugar. Put some peanut butter on it to slow down the processing of that um, of that sugar uh, so that it doesn't spike it. If you're going to eat an apple, put some peanut butter on it. If you're going to eat a potato, put some butter on it If you or eat a steak with it, right? Um, if you're going to eat, um, you know, eat an ice cream, put some almond butter on it, just, but putting something that slows down the processing of those foods, you know, instead of drinking orange juice, eat a full orange that has all the fiber in it. That's going to slow down the processing of that sugar. Or, you know, if you're going to eat some strawberries, put it in some yogurt to slow down the, the processing. So putting clothes on it is exactly kind of the 
the the point that they were making with you know nobody just eats typically nobody just eats a potato by itself you know like the potato i just made in my hash i you know i fried it in a little bit of oil and i added some egg so that will last with me a lot longer than if i just ate the sweet potato alone so i do get those points right I I still it's interesting because it is interesting what what is high on the glycemic index scale and what's not. I mean I do re- I do recognize why you shouldn't necessarily use that as a sole guide to choose what to eat. Um like because, you know, obviously a whole food like a parsnip or watermelon over chocolate cake in my mind nutrient dense uh, whole food over processed sugary items. Uh, but, and it's, it's interesting because, but I, I've, I've followed that concept for a long time because I did learn again, back when I was in the weight loss industry, when I was listening to this podcast, it jogged this old memory of, I, I, it was probably, I had been working for the company for probably like three years because I'll, I'll never forget where I was when they rolled out this glycemic index booklet. So, you know, we had the program where it was like portions of vegetables, portions of protein, portions of fruit. And so I always, we always thought in those terms, just portions of, of food groups. Uh, but then when I'd been with the company for a couple of years, they rolled out this understanding of the glycemic index. And, and it wasn't necessarily... Like they they weren't asking people that were following this diet to choose things off of that were specifically really low on the glycemic index, but they wanted to add to the knowledge of the the dieter that hey, here's this glycemic index, and there's all this science showing that we should choose foods that don't give us these spikes in our blood sugar. Um, so that we are satiated longer, so that, you know, our body digests things in a normalized way, so that we don't have these sudden increases that are going to make us really hungry and, and lethargic pretty soon. Um, so they would send out this book where you could look up different foods that you were choosing and see where it ranked on the glycemic index. And I do remember being surprised at some of the things. I was like, oh my God, that's really high. Cause it was, it, some of the, some of the healthiest things, some of the things that you could have an unlimited amount of times during the week, because it was a low starchy vegetable, for example, were higher on the glycemic index than other things that were things that you were only supposed to have once a week, for example. So, so it was interesting. I, I do remember looking at that. I remember not really following it super close, but I, I do remember making some choices for f- food intake based on that. Um, but I do remember, I think it was there that, that I did remember, you know, again, the importance of protein, adding some fat to something to slow down the digestion of it. Uh, and, and I think in those terms, it wasn't necessarily about keeping blood sugar regulated. It was more just slowing down the processing of it so you stayed full longer and you weren't having these crazy cravings where you just wanted to go, you know, wild and and fall off your plan. So anyway, uh, anyway, it's, it's just interesting. I think what they are saying here, they're debunking that sugar spikes glycemic index because they're basically saying that 
well, there's these, you know, certain things. Of, of course, sugar does <laughs> spike it, but, you know, it, how you intake something, the way these studies were done is not like you're just, it's not realistic to go eat, you know, just 50 grams of a potato. You know, you're going to be just fine having some things that do have sugar in it if you're eating it with other things, right? If you're eating, you know, the potato with your steak, for example. So, so anyway, that was their, that was their number two, you know, myth about sugar that they were debunking. And then the third point and last point was, uh, the last big idea about sugar is that it's addictive as cocaine. And so what they're looking at here is how it affects the same part of the brain. Uh, and that's where this feeling has and, and concept has come from. And there was this Good Morning America clip that they shared where it was like studies show that sugar can be as addictive as street drugs like cocaine. And they showed this this MRI that was done on the brain and it showed that that the same parts of the brain that were activated by cocaine were also activated by sugar. Um, and what they wanted to point out is that these studies were focused on added sugar, not not naturally existing sugar that's found in, you know, in, in, in fruit. But, but this idea has led to a lot of sugar-free diets. And they said that some people feel strongly that they're addicted. So should Aubrey, the host, kind of wanted to tiptoe around this a little bit because she knows people that feel very, very strongly that they are addicted to sugar and that they do need to, to completely cut it off. They just, they don't feel that they can have it in their lives at all. There's other people that feel the same way about white flour. Um, and, and a lot of people in, but, they also pointed out that a lot of people in treatment for like drugs and alcohol get mad at comparisons like this because, um, you know, people that they said there's a big difference between addiction to things uh, like psychological versus physical and that, you know, someone isn't going to rob their parents or rob a drugstore in order to get their sugar fix. Right there with, whereas opioid addiction or, you know, some of this other, you know, substances that we're addicted to will, will actually ruin your lives. Um, sugar is not necessarily as prone to do that. Um, so they talked about in 2016, there was a review that showed that there was little evidence tied to sugar addiction and that reactions like binging are tied to intermittent use of sugar or really restriction of sugar and that, uh, but not that there's a neurochemical reaction to sugar. Um, another review in 2018 showed that consuming sugar products, uh, a similar, that there's a similar effect to cocaine use, um, altering mood through the ability to induce reward and pleasure leading to the seeking out of sugar. Um, in animals, it's even more addictive than cocaine. This just reminded me that I just saw Cocaine Bear. I don't know if you saw Cocaine Bear. That bear was addicted to cocaine, okay? Um, anyway, so sugar is the most consumed addictive substance around the world, and it's wreaking havoc on our health. Um, that meta-analysis led to backlash because the soundbite made it much further uh, that authors may have may have 
may have misunderstood the animal studies because when they when they did these studies, they sh- the, the rats that they were using were only given three options. They were given sugar water, cocaine water, and sucrose water, and and they were restricted. So you know they're naturally going to go after like a food source, sugar water over cocaine water because cocaine's not like a food source. So they they felt that that research was you know very very biased. Um, the main argument is that sugar consumption leads to dopamine release, the same as drugs. Overall, though, it's the pleasure response areas of the brain. And yes, our brain does react the strongest to sugar, but other foods create that response. Um, drugs like cocaine actually hijack the controls of that area, and we just don't have the same studies on sugar related to this. Um, you know, food addicts don't endanger others to get their fix. It's different than tobacco. You know, if you lower the amount, it can reduce obesity. Um, you can't abstain from all sugar, so it can't be treated the same as other addictions. Um, this idea that if sugar being addictive uh, ties into these deep-seated ideas and stigmas we all hold as a society, that the overuse of sugar is tied to diabetes and obesity, which is has a lot of stigma around it. That addiction is also stigmatized. So this adds to the belief that fat people can't control themselves and addicts need to be pitied and don't have self-control and that they did it to themselves. Um, this has led to people bringing the same kind of alarmism to sugar consumption. But the research doesn't clearly show that there's an there's a definite research pointing to sugar being addictive. Uh, she feels that this messaging is really just meant to grab you and shake you, and it just reinforces the way that we feel about foods. Um, she thinks that this was that this whole you know focus on sugar being addictive as addictive to cat as as cocaine is is a reaction to this like anti diet culture movement that as people are starting to become like more body acceptance and and less diet focused that then they're bringing this alarmism and this fear fear of sugar's addictive as cocaine and they're tying it to hard drug use to kind of get people back focused on oh now we need to restrict sugar so um you know she thinks it comes from the same idea that obesity obesity is a disease and it reinforces how we feel and fear about food that it gives you another way to talk and discriminate against fat people instead of talking about instead instead talk about sugar addiction it's just another way to discriminate against fat people um she thinks that tying it to addiction gives it urgency, you know, but no one is overdosing from too much sugar unless they're diabetic. It's not like an opioid. So, you know, so here's the thing, though. I mean, I I understand that there it's, it's an exaggerated uh, comparison, right? Uh, sugar as being as addictive as cocaine, Although, you know, and I think, again, everything in moderation, if you can control your consumption of sugar, moderate amounts are not a big deal. You know, that's why I try to keep the majority of my added sugar intake to the weekends, because I don't want to 
overdo it every single week. And and I have seen in myself. Now, I don't know whether it's an addiction, but a lot has been published about how it makes you want more. And and I find that myself. Like as soon as I start thinking about, oh, going to get that pastry, I'm like, oh, then I want this, then I want that. And it it does it leads to a slippery slope. Now, that could be people saying, well, you restrict sugar through your week. But I don't. I mean, I eat natural sugar through my week. I even eat some dark chocolate, you know, to to get my little sweet fix in. It's just I'm not eating cake and cookies and ice cream and and all of these other indulgent things because if I have it in my house, I'm going to eat that over my salad. <laughs> I just will. So, um so I, I get what she's saying. I mean, she there's all these alarmist ideas of of of, you know, oh, sugar's as addictive as caffeine and and it's it's you know it gives it gives fodder for people to talk about on TV shows and and again she's coming from a very like fat forward stance and being very protective of people in larger body sizes and i get that i get that i get that that viewpoint uh what i notice in my own body and with my own intake of sugar that when I do eat more sugar, I have more belly fat. I just do. Like my, my, it goes immediately to increasing the girth around my midsection. And, and probably because when I do consume it, I tend to consume excessive amounts. Uh, but, but I do notice that when I reduce added sugar, my body is way leaner than it ever is if I'm eating a lot of processed sugar. And so it's not a myth that too much sugar will add calories, will add excessive weight. I mean, when I did Google, um, is sugar tied to cancer? What it did say is there's no definitive research tying sugar to cancer. But if you eat excess sugar, you'll have a lot of extra calories in your diet and there's a lot of hidden sugar in food products that we buy. And by consuming, over-consuming calories on a daily basis leads to excess weight gain, which which is tied to cancer, right? There's many cancers that are tied to excess adipose tissue and and obesity. Now, she's here to say that, you know, a lot of that is fat phobia, but there's a lot of research tied to, you know, how excessive weight gain can also lead to other diseases. Now, again, that's not to say that there's people in larger bodies that are very, very healthy. Um, that Those are two separate issues, right? They really are. There's people in large bodies that can be very healthy, and there are people at any size that can be healthy, but then there's a lot of people that eat excess sugar and and a lot of excess calories that that gain excess weight because of that and that has been researched and shown to cause disease like diabetes and again that's not fear-mongering that those are facts so you know i i see both sides to it and i do understand she's trying to kind of debunk um her and michael are both trying to debunk these these overarching alarmist myths um but you know and and 
you know, there's a lot of people that have lost hundreds of pounds that do, that, that do feel that they're addicted to these things and that if they do have them, and, and that's another extreme, right? People that are cutting out entire food groups, you know, like that, that, that woman that does the carnivore diet that's lost over a hundred pounds. I mean, she only eats meat. That is extreme, but she does that because she feels a strong addiction to these things. And apparently being that thin is more important than her eating delicious food through her life, which I, I actually think that that's a really sad existence. I'm, I'm, glad I'm not so extreme because I, I do think that part of the joy in life is eating delicious cakes and pastries and ice creams. Like I just, I believe that it's sad to me when people can't incorporate a healthy balance of that. You know, that's why I love the 80-20 rule. It's like, you know, nutrient dense foods, whole foods for the majority of the time, you know, I, I think for most people, they make you feel really good and they are the best thing you can eat. Um, and limiting processed foods, you know, to, to a 20%, 30% intake, I think is going to lead to better health overall for the majority of people. Um, so anyway, those are, those are my opinions. This is a great podcast. Uh, I do highly recommend you go check out maintenance phase. Again, our logos both have an apple, but I'm not copying them and <laughs> I'm promoting them here. So, uh, so anyway, uh, that's the show. I hope all of you enjoyed it. If you have any other ideas for podcasts that you'd like me to do, please let me know. Um, I will be doing some more reviews of restaurants and, you know, I'm finally back in a better financial place because I, I, you know, I finally did get that money from Curaleaf and have been able to pay my credit cards off, pay Chad back for the mortgage. So it's very exciting to, you know, be in a position now again where I can go eat delicious foods out at restaurants and talk about them here. So stay tuned for more of that. I have more great content and more podcast review coming up. Uh, for any of you that really love this content and you're not subscribed to Craving More, please subscribe to Craving More. That's where you'll get two additional episodes where I talk even more in depth about things that I don't want to talk about openly on the regular podcast. Uh, so you can click that link to subscribe. Uh, please follow me on Instagram at the Diet Obsessed Podcast. Please leave a a review for this podcast hopefully a positive one but you know the fact that anybody leaves takes time out of their busy day to leave a review i do appreciate it and until we meet again i hope all of you have a very balanced week